0: Hello and welcome to the slow home podcast. This is a podcast all about slow living in a fast paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. Thank you very much for
1: joining us. And my name is Ben McCallery and welcome to episode 171 where the delightful Brooke speaks to the wonderful Rebecca Sullivan. Oh, that's nice. Tell me about Rebecca. <laughs>
0: Rebecca is awesome.
1: Yeah. You were really chuffed after this. I was. I came out with a big say. grin on my face yep. and said that was brilliant. Yep. Rebe- I, Rebecca's one of my people. That's yeah, what I think you said. I did. Yeah. I,
0: that's a bit embarrassing if she's listening, but like I basically Instagram stalked her immediately after talking to her. So I think she knows that I'm a weirdo. <laughs> uh, but I just I loved it. I I thought that I knew what we were going to talk about and I was excited by that. But then we had this conversation that was so much deeper and so much more wide-ranging than I expected. Uh, And, man, this is a woman who is doing really, really cool stuff, really important stuff, and she's just – I just loved her. So
1: she's written a book. She has. It's, she's, all it's about, a second book, yeah. It's all about gr- granny skills, basically.
0: Yeah, so she wrote... In
1: and around the house.
0: That's right. So Rebecca yeah. is a founder, really, of the, the granny skills movement, which is like, it's a cute name for something that's really important. It's protecting traditions and connections to past generations that that had skills that we simply don't have in our generation anymore, unless we've got people like Rebecca who are working to, to keep them alive yeah so rebecca has done some phenomenal things around that including getting uh, grannies to work in high schools with kids right uh, teaching them home ec skills and stuff like that uh and also granddads as well in teaching working and things we mm. speak about that program a bit in our conversation um but also in terms of food and in terms of the the home skills that we have we really have lost connection to all of those things because of in large part convenience. That's something you and I talk about a lot, and Rebecca and I speak about it. Uh, convenience is costing us a lot. Like, we might think it's buying us a little t- a little time, but it really is costing is. us a great deal. So, yeah. uh, you know, we, we speak about that. We speak about some of the, uh, the recipes that she has in her book. So, her, her second book, the one that's just been released, is a beautiful, it is mm. absolutely stunningly... It is
1: a sensational book. ...photographed like and written and... One weekend, I was just... One morning. I was just going through it and the recipe for potted pork. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's amazing. So
0: it has it has food recipes. It also has recipes for you know, household cleaning and pretty much anything, any task that you In need. and around the home. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But also but cocktails and mm. uh, you know, self care beauty products and all that kind of stuff. And you can it's basically your Bible for it is. For a natural home, which is why it's called the Art of the natural Home uh, and it's, it's gorgeous. So we do talk about about the work that led her to that and we also talk about what has driven her to really find her passion in these granny skills and, and why it's so important to her and it's just it's wonderful.
1: Awesome. So for all those links to Rebecca's website to a book, head over to home no don't do slash do dot com and then do slash and then do 171 yes
0: but she has also founded a company with her partner and the company's called wandu w-a-r-n-d-u and again i'll have links to that in the show notes yeah but it uh, combines indigenous ingredients like indigenous to australia ingredients into things like teas and broths um and oils it's such a fantastic idea and if you go over to that website so wandu.com.au you can also grab a a copy of rebecca's book there but just do yourself a favor and go and check it out because it's it's really inspiring and important stuff and rebecca is at granny skills on instagram she has a really really great feed uh, as well as a facebook group for granny skills as well but at granny skills is where you're going to find her now before we get into this cracking conversation Today's episode is sponsored by Etitude. You know that ethical fashion is important. You know why. You know the impact that it has on planet and people. But what Etitude gives you is an ability to have ethical bed linen, which is rad, and pajamas.
1: Yeah, ethical bed linen and pajamas.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, we've spoken about how soft attitude sheets are. We've spoken about how warm they are and how cool they are in some kind of miracle. It's something to do with the bamboo deliciousness of their sheets. And
1: apparently their new charcoal sheets are even softer and betterer.
0: Bet- betterer. That is an official marketing term. They Correct. are betterer. So you know that, that they're the only sheets we use. Quite literally, we were able to give away all of our other sheets mm-hmm. when, we, when we got our attitudes, I don't know, a year
1: ago. Yeah, about a year ago. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So they stand the test of time. They are fantastic sheets and I love them. I also love the fact that I can now wear a pair of pyjamas made out of that same cloud-like material. Mm. I call it a cloud suit. You might call it pyjamas. That's fine.
1: Either is fine. So we've got the grey sheets and Brooke's got the grey pyjamas and sometimes I don't know what's a sheet and what's a (laughs) pyjama. Anyway, Etitude sheets
0: are, they're organic, they're pesticide-free, they don't use any harmful toxic dyes, and Etitude has no middleman. It's straight from the manufacturer who are all certified in um, ethical treatment of stuff, all that kind of stuff, all the good stuff.
1: Put simply, they're one of the good guys. They are indeed. So if you want to find out more about Etitude, head over to Etitude.com.au slash slowhome. And you can actually get 10% off your first purchase when you enter the offer code. Sleep better. And you do.
0: You do indeed. So enjoy this episode and quite possibly enjoy your sheets or pajamas. Good morning
2: Rebecca. Good morning Brooke, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? I'm good thank you, good. That's I've got nice. some sunshine this morning on my back so I'm a pretty happy lady. Oh that is nice. Now you're in Tassie aren't you? Adelaide. Adelaide, I thought you were in Tasmania. Oh. I was probably in Tassie when I ran, like I, I was definitely in Tassie not that long ago but I'm definitely in Adelaide now. Okay, because I, like, I was stalking
0: your Instagram feed for a while, I'm like yeah. is she, does she live in yeah.
2: London, is she in Ireland? I was at the beautiful agrarian kitchen in Tasmania, running some, running a workshop there, and and enjoying one of their agrarian experiences. So I was there, okay. um, just not now.
0: Okay. There you <laughs> go, now. There. All right. So Rebecca, you're in Adelaide, right?
2: <laughs> so, so I'm in
0: Adelaide, correct. <laughs> so I'm so stoked to talk to you, uh, because you've written your absolutely gorgeous new book. Congratulations, by the way. Um, my husband and I have spent hours like pouring through it. Um, and Thanks. He's so excited by your preserves. Has he smoke. done any
2: of the man stuff yet? Not yet, but he's bought a <laughs> smoker
0: and he is all down to get into your preserves and um, the, um it's the the pork in the um, uh, the little jar. oh the potted pork. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yum yum. Yeah. Nice really, one. Really excited him by by that. Um. Yeah. So congratulations on your. book. Brooke?
2: Does he have a beard?
0: He does have a beard.
2: He does have a beard, but you have to like, this is a perfect excuse to get rid of his beard because there's a shaving cream recipe in there. So you'll be like, I need to test it. <laughs> <laughs> shave off your beard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he edits this, so he'll be listening going, oh, you're not touching my beard.
2: <laughs> your beard's
0: going, hubby. <laughs> uh, maybe, in, maybe in like spring, that's a really good thing. In spring, thing. spring yeah. we'll give him a spring shave. That's right, exactly. Spring clean your face. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But the other reason that I'm stoked to talk to you is because you have the best Instagram handle uh, that I've ever seen. You are at Granny Skills and it just makes me happy every time I see you pop up in my feed. Thank you. Tell me, have you always been someone who is passionate about preserving traditions that our grandparents kind of, they were pretty day-to-day for our grandparents? Is that something you've always been passionate about or is this something that you've come to as a result of some kind of catalyst?
2: Yeah, well, that was definitely a catalyst. I think it's something I've always been passionate about but didn't really know what it was. Like I'm always drawn to grannies. I've always collected grannies' recipes. I've always enjoyed hanging out with them, um, and I consider myself a bit of an old granny when it comes to the way I live. But my catalyst was in, in setting up the granny skills movement, I call it, um, was when, like, I've been working in food for 15 years, food and sustainability, and my great-grandmother passed away um, in 2008. And when she passed away, my mum saved me a bunch of her things, and in her things happened to be all these medals. And they were for her award-winning victorious Sponge Cake in the 30s in the women's own cookery competitions. And in that sort of moment... My little heart broke again into a million little pieces thinking, Oh gosh, I didn't even ask her about, you know, that stuff. I didn't ask her and I didn't learn how to make that cake from her. And for someone who's into food, not getting to make this cake directly with her, you know, really resonated with me. And that's where I've sort of started this idea and this mission around protecting our granny skills and protecting our As knowledge and tradition and skills and making sure that other people don't end up having that sort of you know immense amount of regret around not spending time with their grannies or grandpas for that matter
0: because i think those things really represent connection don't they like intergenerational connection and they are important like vitally important
2: they're so important and they're not just important for from a like I started doing a PhD, I've had to withdraw for now, but in looking at the at the subject, because I didn't want it to just be a fluffy idea, you know, oh, this granny skills movement, isn't that nice? So I first started out by um, trialling the concept in a few schools, and we put grannies into schools to pass on, you know, basic home economics um, in schools that didn't have strong home ec programs. And what I found from that, I wanted it to tap into this food literacy rates, which were super low, it turned out now with kids and a lot of that taps into um the fact that elders don't live in homes anymore so that granny's not there doing the cooking from scratch etc etc and so i thought all right well let's then get some grannies to teach some kids some some good cooking skills and not just cooking but you know knitting a beanie or learning how to crochet or being able to sew a button on you know all of those things that you'd associate with your gran and and it turned out that um not only was it wonderful to watch these kids interact with the grannies and and now grandpas, um, it turned into this really beautiful positive ageing program unintentionally whereby the people that we had in the schools were people that didn't have family around them all the time and were literally just sat around wasting their time, you know, and the nurses just found it so positive because the grannies weren't whinging or upset about, you know, their almonds because they had something to do. They had meaning. They had a sense of purpose and a connection to community. And that's, you know, so the idea is so much bigger than just, hey, let's learn to pickle and ferment. Like let's, you know, let's interact. Let's have a community. Let's talk to our neighbours who might be old. And then we started the grandpa skills movement because I didn't want to be totally sexist. Um and Grandpa Skills is more about the shed and the and the garden, and that's just because it's the way it was with that generation. Um, and that's sort of where it all came from. But also everyone always asks me, oh, how do I be a bit more sustainable, especially specifically around food? Oh, how do I do it? What, where do I start? And I just started thinking about my sort of food heroes like Michael Pollan and Alice Waters. And Michael Pollan talks about if your granny doesn't recognise it as food, then it's not. Mm. And I started thinking, well, there you go, but also my nan's era, you know, they ate locally and seasonally um, and didn't waste a thing and not because they were hipsters and not because they were cool and it was on trend to do it but because they had no choice and my nan still does that.
0: Yeah, I find it really interesting that to go back to this kind of more sustainable, local, slow, you know, zero waste way of living is currently seen as a hipster movement and it frustrates me. (laughs) because absolutely yeah, what are your thoughts on that what do you what do you do when people kind of accuse you of being a hipster
2: well I, I get very very upset about it because I'm not a hipster I've I've been doing this for you know nearly 15 years and my nan's definitely not a hipster <laughs> <She's> <laughs> absolutely not a hipster but she still cleans with bicarbonate vinegar and lemon and not just because it's economical because it is bloody economical and let's all also forget not forget the money side of what i'm trying to achieve here. it works it works so why would you have you know be spraying your oven with shit that makes you cough and you know is poisonous when you can just use something you've got in your cupboard and so yeah the hipster the hipster thing you know i've got like loads of hipster friends and i love them to pieces but I, it it bugs me because this has been you know going on for centuries and centuries and centuries people have been living this way and hallelujah that we're taking a step backwards and we're all craving a more simple life because I think we've just gone too far but what bugs me the most is when people go oh I don't have time I don't have time and I go well and I'm going to sound like a twat saying this but you know the fact of the matter is is my nan had you know three jobs and five kids and she still did all this stuff she still cooked from scratch, and so I just argue that maybe our priorities have shifted a little bit. You know, maybe we should spend a bit less time on Facebook and binging on Netflix. And I'm just as guilty as that as anyone, and I always say that because it's true. And and it's not a perfect situation. And I'm not being a martyr about this. I'm just saying, well, maybe we should just some of this stuff takes a bit takes long. Yeah, of course it does. But you just put it on a pot, put it all in a pot and leave it to boil, and you go do something else. Do you know what I mean? Like.
0: Absolutely. and I think we're kind
2: of we're prioritizing downtime and I
0: think we've which is great and I'm a big advocate for you know taking time to be slow mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean spending all weekend watching Netflix or like literally doing yeah. nothing it's sort of switching yeah. our mindset on as to what what downtime can look like as well and doing something purposeful and meaningful and useful and enjoyable you know it can still be it can be something that's relaxing it can be something that connects us to a deeper understanding of you know our why or our purpose or
2: our impact on the world of course and surely downtime is about nourishing your soul and i think people people see these things as a chore but i think what will actually happen is the minute you start, you know, making your own jams or learning how to pickle or growing a, you know, balcony herb box, you'll find that that will nourish your soul. Mm. You know, more than anything else, more than sitting on a couch and binging on Netflix, and more than, you know, going shopping and spending all your money on things that you have being told will make your life more whole or natural or nourished or all of those, you know, <laughs> those those buzzwords. I think people think that there are these things are a chore and they're certainly not and and I argue with anyone I haven't I've seen many of people be converted to this just by giving it a go that first time
0: and finding it genuinely enjoyable like I find it so satisfying <laughs> I, mean, I don't love scrubbing my shower but I find it no. satisfying you know that, <laughs> that I can do it with like a lemon and
2: some bicarb or some vinegar and and. Oh man, that and you've saved yourself you know six or seven dollars that you can go and buy a glass of wine exactly (laughs)
0: see that's what I call priorities (laughs) touché (laughs) I do think that convenience is probably one of the biggest things we need to overcome because I think like we're so busy we fill our lives with stuff to do and we're all busy and we have you know long hours and lots of extracurricular activities and all of that kind of stuff but the 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 flip side of that is convenience and we're opting for convenience. Mm -hmm. And then I think convenience really disconnects us from all the processes, the process of cooking, the process of cleaning, the process of growing. And I think that it's in understanding those processes that we learn and appreciate, you know, and, and I think that convenience, while I get it and absolutely opt for it sometimes, I think that the fact that it's our go-to response all the time is detrimental in lots of ways. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with you more. So going back to your um, granny skills movement in schools, which I think is brilliant what was the what were the benefits or the reactions of the kids when they started to learn these traditional skills
2: it was quite amazing so i mean as i said before it was only a trial so we've done it in about seven schools and if someone would like to give me some money that would be really appreciated so we could roll it out all over australia that'd be amazing um but like all good things life gets in the way and you have to earn money and you can't you know sit there and spend months and months applying for grants to make this stuff a reality um it was incredible, actually. Um, so, the the reaction from the kids was phenomenal. You know, seeing their attitudes change when an older you would come into the room and hang out with them for an afternoon. You know, they stopped swearing. Um, they didn't really spend as much time on their phones. They were kind of less inclined to be, you know, all weird and gangly about being around boys and girls and girl germs and boy germs. Like it just. I don't know what it did or how this magical power of, of the granny happened but, you know, and they really enjoyed the challenge so we taught them. We did a granny skills turn so in that term they would learn how to pickle a preserve and then they would have to enter it in their royal show, their local show, so that they would learn about seasons and community and agriculture and farming as well so um, from a rural perspective. Then they had like sort of a no-waste challenge where they would bring things from home that would have been otherwise thrown out and learn how to make things, you know, simple things like bubble and squeak. And then the last thing that they did during the term was that they did a long table lunch for the local aged care facility. Oh, wow. So I think it was like 30 oldies came. You should have seen it. it was the most incredible thing, you know, 20 Zimmer frames parked out the front of Home Ec 101. <laughs> um, and uh, the the kids brought them all in, sat them all down. They had a three-course lunch and then the kids would spend 45 minutes with an oldie each, and interview them, and then write an essay about their life. It was amazing, like so many tears. The oldies all chipped in, you know, all, all their old, some of their coins to give the kids a tip, and it was just beautiful. Like I just got nothing but wonderful feedback from the nurses saying that for for weeks afterwards, that it's all they spoke about, you know. So if there was a way in which this could be a normal thing whereby kids could be linked with nursing homes. And there are some great programs all other, uh, in other countries that do things like kindergartens based out of aged care facilities yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, that would be amazing. That would be just my dream come true.
0: Oh, it's phenomenal. All right, I'm going to do whatever I can to help get this in front of more people because i just think it's so million dollars yeah sure yeah i'll just dip into my bank account i'll fund it myself Uh, i just i think that is just brilliant and there's so much to explore in just that that single idea that is Mm. like it could change the fabric of a society like it really could and in absolutely really significant multitude of ways you know Oh, I just think that's that's incredible. So, I want to talk to you a bit about like na- the art of natural home, which is the name of your book. Mm-hmm. But when people hear that title or that idea of creating a natural home, what's the biggest misconception that people have that you've you've found?
2: Probably that it's going to be really time consuming and cost a lot of money. Um, because the perception of the word natural has been, we've been led, you know, down a garden path by marketing companies all over the world whereby we're paying you know 35 bucks for a natural body scrub you can make it using sugar and coffee grinds you know and it costs you 30 cents (laughs) and it takes you 30 seconds so I think definitely people sort of before they pick it up and flick through it and their perception is that it's going to cost them a lot of money and take them a lot of time and it's the complete opposite of that because most of the things in the book you know are you know, edible to start with, most of them. Um, You wouldn't sit there and eat tablespoon after tablespoon of bicarb, but bicarb fixes everything. There's no doubt about it. A lot of the recipes are effectively melting some stuff and mixing it and putting it in a little container or, you know, mixing. The blusher recipe, for example, is some arrowroot powder, some cacao, and either like a little bit of dried rose petal powder or some beetroot powder for the Mm colour. And it doubles up as dry shampoo without minus the color, and it's the best blusher you'll ever use. And it costs like seventy cents to make versus fifty bucks if you buy it from you know the, the makeup counter. And you smell chocolate bar. So yeah, well, exactly.
0: <laughs> See, that's actually the best the best side of it. You smell delicious. Win. Yes. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> because I think this is what boggles my mind still is that there's still a perception that bought is better than made like the, you know, the people who are making, creating, manufacturing these products somehow have a secret that makes their $50 blush better than your 70 cent blush. Like I still, yeah. we're trying to battle against ingrained marketing influence that we as a generation have been brought up with from day dot, Yeah, uh, you know, and I think it's really fascinating to see people start to slowly unlearn that and, except you know, that not only they can make things but they can make things that are just as good, if not better, than the things you can buy and there's such a liberation in that.
2: Definitely, definitely. It's like burning your bra but in a different way. Exactly. You know, Like that That all. And I actually feel like as much as we bang on and whinge and whine about millennials, I've found that the, the most amazing feedback I've gotten has been from – like mums who have done this with their teenage daughters and like one for example one woman in Ireland who came and heard me speak at Balimalu Litfest and she reviewed the book with her teenage daughters and she said that they've had potion parties every weekend since where they've gotten girls together and had a sleepover and just made their own makeup and stuff and not spent the entire weekend on their phone. They've actually been active and making stuff and enjoying it and, you know, being social. And And I think that's just wonderful.
0: I think it's brilliant. And I think you're right. There is like a, a tendency for older generations to think that millennial bashing is some kind of sport. But my experience is the exact opposite. They're engaged. They care. Like it's their environment that they're questions
2: And they're really pissed off that we've done so much Damage to our world and our social capacity. I mean, we're all just, you know, a little bit socially silly these days. We're not, you know, able to interact at the same level that we used to because we've all just gotten too caught up in social media world you know and and I think yeah we give them too much shit they don't deserve it because most of the time the ones that I meet they're curious they they're asking questions they want to know they certainly know how to read labels more than my generation do and that's where most generation came from was that I would pick up a label and I would go what what i mean i i can kind of get my way around it with food but with the rest of the stuff when i decided well if i'm going to bang about bang on about what we put into our body by way of what we eat and i have done for you know over a decade then surely why am i not being so so rigid with what i'm spraying around my home or what i'm slapping on my skin it all goes in the same place and that's where i started and that came after my last book which was called like grandma used to make it was sort of like you know, the next progression was sort of, you know, this is, this is, I guess, that book, but on crack, you know, <laughs> the whole house.
0: And what did that process look like? I mean, so you, you said you're, you'd been pretty aware of the food and the impact that that was having, and then you started looking at all the other elements of yeah. life, you know, the stuff we put on yeah. our skin the way we live in our house, all that kind of stuff. Was that uh, something that you adopted pretty quickly or was there a lot of trial and error was there a you know transition period
2: oh look look i didn't i'm not telling and i'm not by any means telling people to go and throw everything out in their house you know mass exodus style um just just gradually over time learning how to read back labels and being so angry by being misled um and ripped off and all of that excess packaging as well, you know, when all of this stuff, if you make it at home, you just chuck it in a, you know, re-sterilized jar or container that you've already got. So that's a whole other element. It just, you know, you just read. You just read other people's recipes and you read, you know, other people's journeys and blogs and books and you just take it all in and, Um, And then you go off and you take the the idea or that's been, you know, like no recipe is totally original. Like anyone who tells you that they've made something up from scratch is a liar Um, because no one's reinventing the wheel here. These are the things, that I mean, these are things my nan used to do for crying out loud. So I just then go, oh, well, that sounds good. And then you just go and make it yourself and and try and make it your own. And, And if it works for you, then you keep doing it. And if it doesn't, you, you know, try a different oil or a different, Silver or a different essential oil or whatever um so it's all about having fun as well i think you know we've got to remember that this if if you're not having fun doing it and enjoying it just go and buy the natural version do you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> like yeah. if you're hating it then don't do it <laughs> yeah and i think the
0: other yeah i love your your idea and your you know the notion of playfulness and curiosity like don't treat mm. it like it's this big dark heavy thing you have to carry around
2: it's your burden yeah. to bear. you know make it fun make it playful make it light it, it, try it and if it's not turning out to be that way then maybe it's not for you maybe just you know but like i say if you're not gonna make it yourself at, at the very least try and find a good natural brand and there are there are so many of them and they're incredible there's some really incredible ones that have heaps of integrity and heaps of authenticity mm. but it's when you start seeing the big Big giant brands jump on the bandwagon who go, Oh, this health and well being market's giant and we should probably do something about it you know, and and they put the word slap the word natural over whatever they want, um, that's when, you know, that's when you I get super angry. Super angry.
0: Anger is a actually really helpful motivator in those instances. I really do. You know, if you get angry, um, and you're kind of a bit well, a lot offended that they think that you're an idiot and think that yeah. they can pass this off as natural or as good for you or whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of just a bit of anger sometimes because it really does yeah. drive you to make changes that sometimes. Of
2: course it does. Yeah. Of course you have to get angry for to be motivated, definitely. Yeah. Angry or uh, there, there's always a callous, there's, there's always an aha moment, you know, and my aha moment in driving me from change switching over from working in sport to working in food so randomly I worked in professional cycling. I was the communications director and press officer for one of the protests and one of the big races, and we spent so much time in Italy that it's pretty hard not to get into food when you live in Italy. I mean, I was a meat and three veg girl growing up, grew up in rural South Australia but never had any connection to, to food or where it came from. You know, we were just eaters. But living in Italy, you know, you're surrounded by people who cook seasonally and use local produce and everything just is simple and tastes delicious. And I used to just sneak into this woman's kitchen who fed us all the time. And I became obsessed with her and what she could do with food. And, and then we, my aha moment around that was that we had this big party after a race. And um, it was, you know, 50 people, long table, and it, it, no one could speak the same language. It was after a race, everyone was excited, 10 courses that someone had thrown together from nothing. And then the cheese course came out. And so you imagine me, I'm 24 at this time, completely naive, but also totally thought I knew everything about the world. And this cheese comes out, and it's called Kazumazu, and it's got live maggots in it. Yeah. and so I'm sitting at the end of this table, and it's so loud, and it's like this Hollywood movie. I go, "Oh, I'm not eating that shit!" You know, high <laughs> pitch, as loud as you can imagine, and you can just um, you can just see it, right? Visually, the entire room stops speaking, and this giant spotlight's like on me for being like culturally insensitive, and completely an arsehole basically. So two things happened. One, I ate the cheese and it was the most delicious thing I've ever tried. And two, in that absolute instant like light, light bulb moment, I realized that holy shit, food is so much bigger than us sitting together having a party eating some food. Yep. It's culture, it's tradition, it's heritage, it's people's livelihoods. It's so many things and I realized that in an instant I'd offend an entire culture based on something that they've been doing for hundreds of years i.e. burying this cheese in the ground until it gets maggots and then eating it you know and so that was i think maybe the start of this granny skills idea in a way Mm. but just didn't really know what it was then and from that minute i went back to london like a week later and i got a job um in in the wine industry first was made slow food youth ambassador for the uk and that was it like i've never looked back wow that's a huge change yeah, massive, massive. And God, I've been doing it ever since. And, um, you know, but it was just such a. And, and I've had another huge aha moment recently in that. So, my partner, Damien, he's Aboriginal, and we've been together for four years. And two, three years ago, I guess it was a combination of. Him and me, his pop got dementia and in his culture, the passing down of stories and and knowledge is oral. And so he started to finally get this whole granny skills thing that I've been banging on about, you know. He was like, oh, now I kind of get it, you know, because I'm about to lose my culture because my pop was the last person to be going through initiation and blah, blah, blah. And we were like, and then I went, oh, my God, what a hypocrite am I? I've been banging on about local food for, you know, 12 years and I've never even tried anything local. I'd never had anything that was local to Australia. And so that's why we founded WANDU, our um, native wellbeing brand, because, you know, I just felt like such a hypocrite banging on about local food and never eaten anything that was Australian native. And so ever since then we were like, how do we champion Australian native ingredients and make them accessible to everyone? So WANDU means good in Damien's language and it sounds like I do a million things I do but they're all very related they're all very related to protecting culture and tradition and championing three simple things you know that our grannies did best eating locally seasonally and not wasting anything in the home you know and and just being connected to community and stuff so it's amazing how my journey of doing all of you know living in London for 10 years and and, and losing my grandmother and and um you know being an arrogant shit and not liking some maggot cheese and you know all of these little things that have created this idea that now is based around my entire work but i think I mean I think what that shows is
0: your your ability to be self- aware and reflective and then go and do something with that. you know I think so often we feel uncomfortable about something or uh, you know we just it doesn't sit right with us, but we don't do anything to change it. Mm-hmm you know and mm. i think that 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 ability to go, oh okay so this doesn't feel good or i've just offended someone or i've just mm. you know made a realization that i'm being hypocritical and you go and yeah. to do something with it is inspiring yeah. you know you're not yeah. waiting until it's perfect you're not waiting until you've got a million qualifications so that you can go and do it like and nail it and be the best of the best yeah. so you just go out and you do rather
2: than- yeah i think that's also like part and parcel of being a serial entrepreneur as well like Um, You know, I was selling booze at the basketball matches when I was 15, you know, making alcohol while mum and dad were out for the night and, you know, making a 100% profit margin. Um, But, you know, that's a whole other story for another day. But like, you know, and now I teach um, in the food entrepreneurship degree at, at Le Cordon Bleu. You know, I teach three subjects there and that's wonderful. I love that's one of my favorite parts of my job is being around these students but what I teach them that I think a lot of people don't is hey actually failure is all part and parcel of it and if you can't if you if you haven't failed yet then you haven't found the right thing yep. you know I think part part of the process you know I've found so many things I've failed so many jobs I've failed businesses that I've started that I thought were the great you know next best thing but what I learned to do was not be crippled by failure. Was to just go. Actually, that was bloody awesome. <laughs> now, what's next? You know, what did I learn from that? And that, and that's why you know I'm still going. Yeah, I. uh
0: It's a really that's a really timely thing to bring up actually, because Ben and I have been talking about it a lot lately, and I've been the same. You know, and I think that over time you get better and better at at failing and not feeling like that's a bad thing. You know, we've been taught mm. that it is, and you need to. Yep. you know hustle until it works or whatever uh but failure is incredibly valuable sometimes more valuable than success you know
2: i completely agree with you i i feel like hallelujah you know that moment of hitting i don't even know when i was like that i realized it probably you know three or four years no not even like two or three years ago i went i stopped getting beating myself up over the failure and every now and then creeps back, but that's just part of being human you know but it's it's one of the most crippling things that we have is fear of failure mm. you know it, it stops incredible people from doing you know meaningful amazing positive work because they're so scared of the failure part of it and if everyone could could just laugh at the face of it you know in <laughs> failure. <laughs> laugh at laugh at it and tell it to bugger off I think that we you know so many people would be living their dream you know absolutely I couldn't have said it better myself
0: so if you could have one like natural product ingredient at home only one what's your most valuable or the the one that you use the most in your home
2: (laughs) you know what it's my blusher I know I've said it before um and it's Oh, can I choose two? Please. No. Yes. Okay. Well, the blusher being because I used to spend fifty bucks on a blusher, and I love blush like it's my favorite thing in the world. And this literally costs sixty cents to make. And people walk past me, and they I, I watch their little noses like like a little mouse. You know, they can smell that I smell like chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it doubles up as dry shampoo, and I'm a bit of a dry shampoo girl. Yep. Um, for my sins, um, so I like that I don't have to use the aerosol version. But also um, the deodorant. Now, the deodorant thing has had to be a very persistent thing with me because I didn't know that the going to a natural deodorant after decades of using, you know, aluminium or – sorry, I shouldn't use – shouldn't bag brand names, but, you know, the ones, yes. the major brands, I always just thought maybe I'm just really stinky because it doesn't seem to work. Mm-hmm. But I had my, like, moment of transition, I think, just recently. Now my natural deodorant's working. Right. Yeah. Right. So I'm now completely converted to my natural deodorant recipe, which is just, you know, um, basically using, like, bicarb and... Um, coconut oil and some essential oils um, and it actually genuinely works so i think you've got to be a bit patient with some of these things you know it's like they say when you're out in the bush you know your hair goes greasy and then eventually it just starts to clean itself i don't know if that's true i just might have heard that on like national lampoons adventure yeah.
0: well if you have i've heard it too because i'm like yeah, yeah i always believed that if you just leave it long enough it'll clean yeah. itself i'm sure that's a thing yeah, sense, yeah. 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 absolutely <laughs> absolutely and what's your your I want to talk to you about your cocktail garden because that just that's delightful
2: thank you mate I thought that was such a good idea I'm sure someone's done it before but I was like I'm so sick of you know every time I want to have a cocktail having to go and buy you know the the particular herb that's the hipster cocktail of the moment and I was like I, I just need a cocktail garden. Let's just plant a cocktail garden. So I was like, I'm just going to plant a cocktail garden. So it was just like a little, you know, enamel bowl or whatever on my balcony and just planted um, some sage and some rosemary and some thyme and um, some mint. And they're the four things that I would sort of use the most. Um, and I just thought, what a nice gift as well. What's the other thing about it? book is there are so many beautiful things in here that you can make as gifts for people and a cocktail garden and a bottle of gin for someone's you know birthday how nice is that oh it's the best
0: as far as I'm concerned that's pretty much the best
2: kind <laughs> feel like, of it. <laughs> it's good because it's a
0: cocktail <laughs> exactly oh I just think it's 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 fantastic so you uh you're a balcony gardener is that right um like you live well
2: in I'm apartment. a balcony gardener when I'm at home but yes. my mum and dad um, have a farm. Yes, okay. Um, in Clare Valley, so I'm lucky enough to be um, – and, in fact, that's one of the big projects we've got going on this year is we're planning a native food garden and an, um, I'm planning an edible flower plot as well um, because I'm obsessed with them. In fact, I'm working on another book at the moment about edible flowers so um, because I'm obsessed with them. Um, and I'm, tr- I'm I'm also on the board for the Australian native food and botanicals industry, so I'm very lucky in that I have sort of this access to, to research and we're trying to do – I'm really pushing – to do more work around edible native flowers because you can imagine, you know, back in the day, um, you know, food wasn't getting plated up <laughs> with edible flowers to make things look all pretty. Um so the knowledge around the edible flowers is very minimal because it wasn't used in the same way that we use them. So I'm a bit obsessed with that. But um so that's something that I'm working on at the moment. But so we're growing quite a lot in Claire. But for for my everyday living yeah I've just got a balcony garden.
0: What's um, the
2: easiest thing to
0: grow in uh, a balcony garden or your favourite thing, I guess, to grow?
2: you know what seems to be so easy? Um, Warrigal greens, which okay. is a native niche, yep. um, which people go, oh, it's native, I don't really understand it. But i I ripped some out and I've just come back from my trip overseas and because we've had some rain, I've got an entire planter box full of little sprouting ones again. Oh, wow. They're just Weeds, so those, obviously the hardy herbs are a lot easier to grow. Um, I find that having lavender on my balcony helps because the bees like it and that seems to help with the herbs. Um, What else have I got? I've got native thyme. I've got wild raspberry. I've got a lot of natives on my balcony which just sort of proves that you can sort of grow anything anywhere. Even if you're um, away, and Damien doesn't do a very good job babysitting them, but they seem to seem to last. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: they're typically hardier, though, aren't they? Like a, a native, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, that's that was my my uh, way of thinking. I'm like, what can't he kill while I'm away? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think that native, um, like native foods, are completely not under they're not even misunderstood they're not understood at all like I don't think that they're on people's radar in general is that part of what you you want to do is to raise the awareness of the like the truly local foods that we have available to us
2: yeah absolutely I think um what what needs to happen in the industry as a whole we've had massive peaks in the industry right where it's been in a fancy restaurant it has been in gourmet traveler magazine and farmers have gone oh added value here we go i'll go and plant some of this stuff and then no one's known how to use it at home and they've had to go and rip it out and that's happened you know three or four times in the last five decades so for the industry to be sustainable people need to use know how to use it at home otherwise it's always just going to sit at that high-end fancy chef level every it needs to be in everyone's pantry and the only way that can happen is if people know how to use it and if we grow the industry sustainably and we collaborate with each other so we're huge collaborators and we love working with um other companies on creating things and trying to raise awareness that needs the education side of it needs to sit side by side along with the all the rest of it otherwise you know it's just it's like any industry it's just going to go kaput you know
0: yeah, that's that's brilliant. Um, I didn't I didn't know a huge amount about what your what you guys were doing there, and I think it's so important because we it's so unique. You know what we have to offer here. We don't need to to necessarily mirror you know the the agriculture of other countries when we're completely different.
2: Yeah, no, and and um, you know, also the health of our soil needs the native natives in it you know there's a reason these things grow here and that's because that they, they needed to grow here there's a reason that these things grow here because we need to eat them um you know that that's that whole point of eating what grows loca- locally to you it's not just because it makes sense from a climate perspective it makes sense from a dietary perspective as well i mean kakadu plum which is the highest source of vitamin c in the world you know grows grows in Australia. I, north and it was swallowed like a vitamin c tablet and it only comes out you know sort of pre-winter because it's good to stop the colds and flus i mean there's there's a there's a place for everything there's a there's some there's a story behind every ingredient you know we all need to see food as being medicine you know it's about time we took um we took i guess advice not even advice but we looked to our ancestors you know and our indigenous peoples of australia and and you know it's done everywhere in asia they they eat food as medicine you know they drink tea as medicine you know and that's why we created a herbal tea range because we were like well how can we put these things into people's homes in the easiest way that's not going to intimidate them that they do every day and tea was the first thing that we did because people drink tea and they're not going to be scared by it but you know we we have a kangaroo broth our root broth is 34 is you know 34 protein per serve I mean, that's immense, that's incredible, you know, and, and it's kangaroo and we get it from an ethical source. I've been out shooting with them. I know how they do things, um, you know, all of these things that we just we just have ignored for 234 years or whatever it is. Exactly. Um, and look where we've gotten ourselves, you know, into a lot of, you know, Bruce Pascoe and people like that are, are who we need to be listening to.
0: Right, okay. Uh, it's because there's so much wisdom in like the rhythm of things, the natural rhythm of things. Yeah, they're not. It's not arbitrary. I mean, the, things are like they are in the natural world for a reason. Um, of course, so. yeah. And I think we've spent generations trying to change it to fit us because of convenience yeah. and because of fashion yeah. and because of all these other things that we've lost contact with it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's that's brilliant. Actually, that's yeah. really that's fantastic. Yep. well done. Thanks. Thank uh, you, mate. One thing before I let you go, if someone is has listened to our conversation, they're like this all sounds great, but I'm overwhelmed because it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. home and it's food and it's, you know, beauty and it's um all the all, everything. Everything needs to change and I don't know where to start, so I'm not going to do anything. What mm-hmm. is one place or one thing that you would recommend for someone to begin with in starting to make a change?
2: Get rid of the poisonous oven cleaner that you have under your sink nice. and the plug in smelly things that you have in your house because two those two things are two of the top most toxic things that we have in our house. And I've got a recipe for um, you know, oven cleaner and I've got a recipe for room spray. Your room spray, the lavender and rosemary
0: one is delicious. Thank
2: you and that's what I mean like and that how long does that take you like 10 minutes you boil some water you put some herbs in and you let it sit there like and then same with the oven cleaner recipe you know it's a bit like a bit of vinegar or you know and you can do it in lots of different ways it takes 30 seconds so that's where I would start I mean I would start under the sink you know that seems to be the most if it makes you cough when you're spraying it then you've got a problem. Chances are it's not
0: great for you
2: chances are it's going to make you cough later in life you know <laughs> um that's probably the, the first place to start and it's easy and simple and it's cost effective and and don't be overwhelmed by you know by all of the things i did not i'm not perfect i i don't do you know sometimes i mess up and sometimes i have to go and buy something and that's just the way it is i mean you're not going to come into my house and not see something in the packet. That's like – that would be a complete and utter lie. I'm just doing the best I can with the time I have, the money I have, you know, and, the, and, and it's all about having fun, giving it a try. If it doesn't work for you, then, you know, change my recipe or – you know, change one of the ingredients or don't use that one, you know. It's 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 not, this is not me being, like I said before, Amada, I'm not telling you that you're doing things the wrong way. And also, like, I would love people to share their recipes with us. You know, we've got a Granny Skills Facebook page as well and, and we love it when people share things with us and about their journey and their mess-ups and their successes and all of those things, you know. That's all part of learning and all part of being, you know, in a community. And that's the nicest part of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And stop worrying about being like Instagram perfect. Yeah. You know? oh Not God, everything yeah. needs to be perfect. It's yeah. going back to failure and embracing it and
2: learning so from Oh, true. I mean, I I love my Instagram feed. It's beautiful, but it's pretty authentic. Like, you know, I, I don't – I do a little bit of editing, you know, of my photos, but – and i but I really enjoy doing it but I don't you know take money to put things in photos or give advice I'm not a doctor I'm not a nutritionist I'm not a dietitian I'm just someone that gives a shit about what I put in my home and you know in my body and and the entire food chain and the farmers and um, you know supporting local and supporting seasons and living a more natural life you know and and that that's all it is and that's where it's come from I've just someone who was a bit angry about trying to read a label and, you know, next minute, here we are. I
0: went from there, yeah. Uh,
2: well, mate, <laughs> congratulations
0: on everything that you're working on. I, I'm I'm glad you're around. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing because I think it's really, really important and I think it, you're absolutely making a difference.
2: Well, thank you. Likewise, and thanks for sharing this, all these amazing stories of incredible people, you know, with what you do as well, you know. Um you know, your curiosity means that we all learn something, and that's really wonderful as well.
0: Oh, thanks. Jackrabbit FM for your ears. Who is that?
2: Hi, Puck Pass.